Everybody, so good to be with you here this morning. If you're new here, welcome. So glad you chose to uh, spend this morning with us. If you're online, thank you for joining us. My name is Judah. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Word of Grace. And I just want to cover a couple of things that God did and showed us during our time of worship. Because these are things that we can so sometimes skate by and we're moving on to other things. Uh, one of the words that the Lord very specifically showed me is that he has an answer for somebody here today. Okay, so if, if there is something that you've been pondering for a while or confused about for a while, um, he has a very specific answer for you. So if you've been seeking him, um, that, would, that just jumped straight out. Uh, while I was praying over us as a church, and during this time of worship, he said that he has answers for specific things. Not just like, yeah, we know Jesus is the answer for everything. But I'm talking about specific things. Uh, secondly, um, and this is something that I hope as we continue in the series that we're working with, you will start to see that the work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus. The work of God in our midst is that Jesus would be seen. So everything that you're doing in your, in, in your church meetings, in your personal times, I would ask you to just ask the Lord for this simple thing. It's a simple thing, but it's the biggest thing ever. Lord, reveal Jesus to me. Because when, so just like what Molly was saying, when you speak the name of Jesus, it's not a, a mantra. It's not a incantation. It's not, because in, in a worldly sense, in, in a spiritual sense, or in a spiritism sense, out there in the world, there are all kinds of things that you could repeat. And it brings a certain aura, or it brings a certain peace. And we're not dabbling in those kinds of things. What we're saying is when I speak the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit reveals the work of Jesus in 2023. So whatever it is that you're working through, whatever it is that you're seeking the Lord for, it always comes back to the simple truth, which is I need to see Jesus. If I don't see Jesus, everything is all just fluffy words and talk and theology. It could be right even, but I've not seen Jesus. And this comes back to a passage of scripture where there was a woman who, who was struggling for many years and she was walking through the crowd. And she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. It's not that his garment was special, but she saw Jesus as her healer. She, saw, she was clear. She did not see him as a teacher. She did not see him as the local preacher man who was walking through town. She saw him as, you're my healer. She received that revelation in such a clear way that the moment she touched the hem of his garment, Jesus said, with all these people all around him, he said, someone touched me. I'm like, dude, you're in a crowd. It's like a mosh pit. He's like, no, somebody touched me. And there was this understanding that the simple truth where Jesus was revealed for who he was. He wasn't just a Jewish dude walking through town. For a lot of people, that's all he was. He was a carpenter's boy. He was 
at best a decent teacher. Some people thought he was a really good teacher. And they missed the whole thing. Healing was walking through town. Power was walking through town. And she saw it. The issue is, what do I see? So, ask the Lord. So, that's, so I would just ask you to go back over that. So, to get back to this whole issue of unseen priorities, and now we're in week two of this. Last week, I dealt with the whole idea that God does not look the same way we do. He doesn't look at what we see on the surface. And I asked you to do homework. I asked you to read through Matthew chapter 6. I hope you had some time to read through that. Because it gives you a clear picture of what Jesus is trying to get at when he says, there are so many things we like to do on the outside. We have a good Bible reading plan. It seems like it, you know, you have the app to keep you going. And you can post prayer requests. You can make prayers on Facebook. All these things that other people see. You get into church meetings. I can sing loudly. Do the whole hands thing. And Jesus says, be be careful about practicing your righteousness in front of other people. Not that any of those public things are wrong. He says, be careful of what it's doing to your unseen priorities. The heart issues, the heart motivations that say, I need to look like this because this is what Christians do. And Jesus gets right after that. He's like, I am not going to accommodate that even for a second. So when we hear, has anyone heard the phrase that it's from the Bible when it says, our God is a jealous God. Jealous in the context of a love that is so singular that he will not share it with anyone else. That covenant, that relationship that he shares with you is so specific, he's not going to be like, yeah, it could be this and. So today I'm going to get more into that, but just to start things off, Proverbs 16 verse 2, we talked about this last week, and this is kind of where we were ending up. All the ways of man are pure in his own sight. He feels like everything that I'm doing for my life makes sense. But the Lord weighs the spirit. What is in your heart? He weighs that. He weighs the motivations. He weighs the things that you've been through. So there are times where he's so much more gentle when I feel like you need tough love. This is the amazing thing of God being our parent. Not human beings. Because we can mess things up. I mess things up as an earthly parent with my children sometimes. And I have to tell myself, how would God respond to the spiritual dynamics here? Not just the behavior dynamics. Because I want to respond to the behavior. We all look at things like that. And God's saying, I look deeper than that. I look for what's in the spirit. Just so you see the context of what we do here, why teaching the Word of God is so important, and why I love the Word of God, it's because of this next verse, which is in Hebrews 4. For the Word of God is living, and it is active. To do what? What is it living and active to do? It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. So that is thoughts and intentions, And the place that communes with God. 
the place that has been renewed and fashioned in the likeness of God. He's able to separate all of that. And guess what he does? He can discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. What, what does that? The word of God does that. So when we treat the word of God callously or carelessly, we end up being people who never get to the real heart issues. I could preach the most hashtag fire word that you've ever heard, and you'd be like, oh, this is so awesome. But guess what? It makes no difference. Because the word of God has to do a work that evaluates your heart. It's, I mean, I've heard this said several times. It's not us reading the Word of God as much as the Word of God reading us. We don't come to try and figure out God's plans. We let God's plans read us and say, these are the things that I will work with. Because so much of Scripture can be taken out of context. So much. I mean, it's like a full-time job for some people. Like literally bad exegesis is like a full-time job. But when you, when you actually say, we're going to let the Word of God speak to us as only the Word of God can, what we are saying is, and this is what I want you to understand, Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to me. That's the simple... So when you take away all the... Like the fancy language, what we're really saying when you come to the Word of God, you're saying, God, by your Spirit, open the eyes of my heart that I might see Jesus here. That I might understand what the name of Jesus does in this facet of my life. That I might see clearly what this means to walk with you, what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus. That it's no longer just a, a title I carry, it's no longer. I'm no longer just a card-carrying member. In John chapter 3, verse 3, and now I'm going to just dive into a little bit of the, the, the truth of what it's after. Jesus was talking to a teacher, someone who was very, very proficient in the scriptures. His name was Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus and asks him questions just about life and how he would see the things of God happen in his time period. And Jesus very clearly says to him, I truly, truly, I say to you, truly, whenever you see two back-to-back same words, he usually is saying, pay attention. That's Jesus saying, pay attention. Just in case you think I'm kidding. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can, what? What is that word there? He? Can you say that word with me again? Cannot. It looks like it's a thing now. (laughs) Jesus says, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. It's not just a casual, you might miss it, or if you look harder, you might get it. Unless you are born again, you can do what? You cannot see his kingdom. 
So Jesus was very clear about that, and we have to be very clear about that. Sorry. Sorry. You can keep that. Um, why is it that you need to be born again? And you need to understand this is not just a spiritual or churchy word. He is talking about something that has to happen where that division point is. Because we're people who are so used to living by the thoughts and intentions that we live by. Our New Year's plans, our resolutions, and we have all our best work up here. And we try and live cerebrally. But God is saying there is a part of you that needs to be divided, which is your spirit, which has been recreated in Christ, which was dead in its sin, separated from the life of God. And he says, I have given you new life. So when you look like just little old you, right? When you woke up this morning and went and looked at the mirror, did you look any different? Is there something very Christian looking about you? No. We look like everybody else. But what's happening is, and this is what Hebrews 4.12 is talking about. There is a division between the soul and the spirit. Because that spirit in every human being, since the Garden of Eden, has been corrupted and dead. Separated from the life of God. So when we talk about separation from God, we're not talking about dying and done. We're talking about there's a separation which is death. So when the Bible says you have been dead in your trespasses and sins, it's saying your spirit was deadened. When Jesus came and revealed his heart to you, there is something that got born again. And that's your spirit, which rises up and says, now I am formed in Christ. There is a Christ man, woman who lives within me. It's not just Judah trying to be Christian. Christ lives inside of me. It's not figurative. It's not metaphorical. It is the work of Christ now abides in you. Okay. This is why Jesus says you must be. John 3.3. 3, let's put that up again. You must be born again. Otherwise, you cannot see his kingdom. In Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, he kind of expounds this idea a little bit more. He says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed with your human eyes. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, behold, the kingdom of God is... What, where, where is the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying? That's what he's talking about. There is a rulership of God and his way of operating that exists in your spirit being. So your body, your soul, and your spirit together are being saved. Your spirit man, however, has been born again. Which is why it's not a work in progress. Does that make sense? When I say you have been born again, you're either born or you're not, right? 
There's no half born. You're born, you're a person. Your soul is being transformed, which is your mind. So when scripture talks about these things, we will do this every few months or so, because this is important truth that you need to understand when you're reading scripture. When it talks about being saved, which is the work of sanctification, which is you being transformed, renewing of your mind, is your soul. This part of you needs to be progressively saved. Guess what's going to happen to my body? It's going to go in a ditch somewhere someday. I'm going to be done with it. And I have to receive a new body. That will be saved. Is, is my body saved right now? I have all kinds of problems with this body of mine. But I can receive out of what has happened in my spirit, which reaches my soul, which can also affect my body. But it's never an automatic like, oh, I open the tap, so now everything just works. It is a relationship where the revelation of Jesus starts to come into your life in places where you thought, oh, my mind was always trapped in this facet of life. I'm bad at finances. Trap. I'm bad at relationships. Trap. I'm stuck. The work of God in my spirit, which is I've been born again. So, Lord, you can affect my relationships. Lord, you can affect my finances, my fears of things that surround me. You can affect those things. And, Lord, today my body is sick. In the spirit, there is no sickness. Where Jesus has accomplished a full work. It's not a half work. Which is why when we talk about Jesus and the work of the cross, are we saying Jesus has anything more to do? No. Jesus has accomplished it all. So your access to God is now an open gate. I want you to think about it in those terms. There is nothing hindering you from meeting with God. Nothing. Because of what Jesus did. Not because of anything I did. Not because of the, the, the piety that I bring. Purely by the work of Jesus, I have been born again. So now, he says, now I want to submit my mind to the work of the Spirit. I want to submit my body, which is prone to certain weaknesses. I want to submit it to the work of the Spirit. So that God's Holy Spirit, which works on my spirit, transforms my entire life. And it's a lifelong process. I just went through some very deep things, and we'll unpack it more as we go. But I want you to understand the kernel of it, which is you must be born again. It's not a, did you do an altar call? Did you get up in one service sometime when you were a teenager at a Bible camp and say, I believe in Jesus? The issue is God is looking at the heart. So you could have said all the different words. God's looking at the heart. So remember, whenever you're talking about God, what is he weighing? The spirit. And he goes all the way down there and he says, that's where transformation needs to happen. Because when you are born again, everything else changes. Everything else starts to shift. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot 
inherit the kingdom of God. So if you were thinking that you were somehow going to work your way into understanding the things of the kingdom of God or being in the kingdom of God, ain't going to happen. Your body cannot inherit it. It has to be done away with. There has to be, which is why we're talking about the coming of Jesus. This is why it's such an exciting thing. Because when Jesus returns, we get to inherit all the things that we have been waiting for patiently. Do not lose heart. This is why Jesus tells you that. Don't lose heart in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the weakness, in the midst of where your body feels like it's falling apart, where your mind feels like it's all jello. Don't lose heart. There is the kingdom of God to see for now, and there will be an inheriting of the kingdom of God in the days to come. There is so much. Hebrews 11. Let's keep going on this journey. Hebrews 11 starts off by saying, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And here is that big word. The conviction of things unseen. Where is the kingdom of God? In an unseen reality. So if you are to perceive the things of the kingdom of God, you have to have faith. And faith, quite simply, like we have discussed before, is you saying, I will take you at your word. I talked about this in the context of a marriage covenant. It is, a, it is a declaration that draws you into the faithfulness of the one who is saying it. The word faith is actually a truncation of the word faithful. In its original form. But because the driving motivator of this word is, is a conviction that acts, this is why it is made a different word. But the root of it is faithfulness that is built on a God who says something. And I'm saying, ah, he will keep his word. So when I, when I say, I do, I pledge to keep my part of the covenant, knowing that the one who's saying, I do, to me, will keep their end of the covenant. So faith is a relationship-building tool. It, it lays a hold of something that God has said and says, when he says, I'm your healer. It's the coming around. I will pick you up. And you're saying, yeah, I will let myself be picked up. I will let myself open that snack bag. Whatever it is, that, that illustration that you heard during worship, it's important that you understand that that's faith. Faith is not a complicated new church kind of context thing. Faith is the basis by which you say, Lord, I take you at your word. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died. I believe that he rose again. I cannot prove any of these things to anybody here. But there is a revelation of Jesus that does something within you that causes a conviction to spring up. And that, my friends, is called being born again. When faith lays hold of that truth, says, 
I don't know how to explain it to you except I know that Jesus is real. He has done something in me that I cannot put into good spiritual sounding words for you. Which is why it wasn't about an altar call. Which is why it wasn't about how many words you said when you gave your life to Jesus. It was about a revelation of who Jesus was and you said yes. That was it. Praise God. Now, having been born again, now let's take the walk. And that's what we're at. This is what the divine pursuit is about. He says, now, since we've started in the heart of hearts, let's continue in the spirit. Don't start shifting over now into like, let me understand all the theology there is to understand. Let me get all the right meetings to go to. Let me do all the seminars and get all the right podcasts. Uh-uh-uh-uh. He says, you started in the spirit. Keep moving. This pursuit of God can only be something that's waged or, or walked in, in the spirit. The moment it flows over into acts of righteousness that other people notice... He says, "Uh uh-uh, we're moving into what other people see. I'm still looking there. And you're trying to start doing the whole church meeting thing and dressing nicely for church and getting your kids to say prayers at night. He's like, I'm looking there. So be careful what you lend yourself to now that you have been born again. And if you're in this room and you have never committed your life to Jesus, right now is that moment. Don't wait. Don't wait for the end of the service. You don't have to bow your head and do some big deep prayer. Respond by faith. And like I said, it's not a complicated thing. Just say, Lord, I receive what you have for me. I receive that Jesus is my Savior. I want to live a life that is pleasing to you. But if you have questions, please come and talk to me. I'd love to sit with you and talk. But I want you to understand this. Because faith is the conviction of things not seen. And this is the pattern that all the heroes, all the ancient ones, received their commendation through the same right, through the same passageway, which is the exercise of faith. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. For by faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was made out of things that are not visible. Do you see how powerful the word of God is? When God speaks, the kingdom of God is among you. All God has to do is speak. And the kingdom of God is here. That's what he's saying. So the things of the kingdom, you cannot perceive unless you're prepared to say, when you speak, things change. When you speak, things happen. The issue is, do we listen? Do we bother enough in our prayer, in our petitions, in all of the things, to stop and say, Lord, what would you say to me? Because when you speak, the kingdom of God has come 
into my home, into my living room, into my kid's crib where they're bawling their eyes out and don't know what to do. I don't know. Is this cold? Is this a cough? Is this an ear infection? I don't know. But the kingdom of God has come into this room. That changes everything. Am I saying it's some hocus-pocus incantation? No. Now do you see what I'm getting at? When we realize that the word of God is living and active, it changes everything. Hebrews 11 verse 13. So this is a few verses down. So all these people who lived like this died in faith, not having received the things that were necessarily promised in their in their vis- visual eyes, what they could see. But they received it. Now this is where I want you to see the shift. Having seen them, where did they see it? Because it's like they just said they did not receive the things promised. And then what is the very next sentence? Having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged, what did they acknowledge? They reckoned something to be true about themselves. What was that? What did they reckon themselves? They they were like, if I'm going to put my foot down on something, what am I going to put my foot down on? I am a stranger and exile on this earth. I do not belong to this place anymore. My body would love to tell me that I belong to this place. My mind would love for me to get involved with the systems of this place. But my spirit tells me I belong to another. I have been born again. The life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the one who died for me. Who gave everything up for me. So it's no longer me winning the day that is my goal in life. Me getting to retirement and having something to live on. Me getting to have a home that that I can be proud of. Me having children that make it all the way through life and have kids and, and have the best kind of grandkids. That is not my pursuit in life. That All those things will pass away. All of it. Not a single thing. I cannot even take my kids with me. I cannot take my grandkids with me. And I don't have any yet. <laughs> do, do, do you understand? But the, do you see how easy the world system makes you apply a certain kind of like, you're the one who has to now keep it all together. I can't keep any of this. Anyone who's raised kids and are beyond that stage of like child, like now they're teenagers and adults, you know what I'm talking about. You're living it. You know that you can't control half the things they do. Forget about half, you can't control anything they do. Right? But we invest ourselves in somehow trying to create an impression that we have it. And he's like, remember, train. So as long as I have the opportunity, I will train my children, I will train my wife, I will train myself. In what? In the pursuit to understand that this place is not our home. We're passing through. So the way I live, the way I give, the way I keep, all change. 
Because I'm not building my own kingdom. What does the next verse say? For the people who say these sorts of things make it clear that they were seeking a homeland. They had a goal. And this is what our goal is. Uh, this is what this whole thing about divine pursuit has been about. We need to get a clear idea of what we're going after. It's, it's well and good for us to say we're on a journey. Life is a journey with God. We're making a trip and all. I mean, all the analogies, it all works perfectly. But where are you going? What, what, what's, this, what's this target? What's, what are you pursuing? We can get so busy with the Christian journey and all of that stuff. And this is what we're talking about. We're getting to the, this is the brass tacks right here. Do you reckon yourself a stranger in exile in this place? Where America, where the world, your family, put whatever you want in there. My wife, I love her to pieces, but I don't get to keep her where I'm going. I live my life in covenant, but I need to remember I don't control these things or people, these relationships. This is why Jesus said very controversial things like, I did not come for you to have a nice, peaceful life. You will find yourself sharply in contrast or against your child at some point. It's a shocking thing to feel. How can I be against my kid? Guess what? Following Jesus might mean that. I might be against my parents. I might have to be against my mother. Who do I pick? Do, do you understand? These are not like simple, like, oh, cat, oh, yeah, see where, you know, just keep, 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 just keep moving. You know, just life, you know, it, we'll see it all pan No, sometimes it doesn't pan out. Following Jesus is costly. And it's not about religion. It never was. It never was. So the issue is, is the kingdom of God what you're pursuing or the kingdom of earth? Put it very simply. If they were thinking about a homeland that was from here, guess what? They could have gone back. Doesn't that, isn't that what the passage says? If they had been thinking of a land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And this is my title. In these unseen priorities, one of the key motivations of your heart needs to be, Lord, I'm pursuing a heavenly kingdom. It's not my own. And it is something that I cannot see with my eyes. I can only see it with faith eyes. So, Lord, what, what are the things that train faith to operate on a daily basis? So that I see what you are doing. For those of you who are joining us on our John Bible study, 
I hope you are seeing this in every single page that you turn. Jesus constantly says this one crazy phrase, I see my father do. I will only say what I hear my father. I mean, Jesus, I mean, you're with these dudes here. Like, who's talking to you? Like, nobody's talking to you. I mean, what is it? I don't see anything. Is it time to heal this person? He's like, no, not yet. Okay, now I will heal. Why, why, why would you do this kind of juke kind of game with us? He wasn't juking anybody. He was simply saying, I will only do it when I see my father do it. I will move when I see my father move. Oh, Lazarus, your friend. Come on, we got to go. Bail on these guys. We'll do another tent meeting here. Like we'll give them 50% off on their tickets or something. We got to go back to get Lazarus. He's like, no. He just carries on. Lazarus is dead. What you don't you care? This is, this is a story from within scripture where Lazarus, one of his close friends and supporters of his ministry, got really ill. And then the healer guy decides to go on a crusade somewhere else. And he doesn't even come back to help his friend. I will do it when I see my father do it. The unbelief that we accommodate in daily life, that's the battleground. The places where we feel like, I'm just living just like everybody else. He's like, no, you are not called to live like everybody else. This is what I mean when I say that. I'm never ever making it an us-them thing. I want you to hear me clearly if you're ever listening online. I'm never ever saying that we as the church are more special people just because. But the demand that Jesus places on us changes the way we live. And that demand is simple faith. Not complicated, very religious looking. He's talking about, are you willing to pursue me with your whole heart? In a parable, Jesus even says, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. Whoa! Easy there, Jesus. Sounds like you have like... Like you have no room for like, you know, I'm having a rough time. I have like kids and it's like if you put your hand to the plow, you better keep moving. I got to, I, I mean, my de- let the dead bury the dead. I mean, when Jesus said that, it like messed with so many people's heads. What do you mean? He's like the kingdom of God is now. So every interaction, every moment, I want to see Jesus revealed. I want to see Jesus glorified. So whatever it takes, I don't go seeking situations to be contrary to the world or contrary to my parents or my kids or whatever it is. But if that happens on the way, I know which side I'm choosing. Does that make sense? So when Jesus makes these bold statements, he's not saying go look for somebody to be ticked off at. Sadly, that is the case in some of the church today. We've made it like our golden opinion to be like, how can I be contrary to everybody else? That's not what he's talking about. He's saying in the course of living in the kingdom of God, as you're living your daily life, as you're being just Judah, 
when Judah gets into a place where he's contrary to the work of God because of where his family's at, the family's got to move. The job has to change. Oh, but this job gives me benefits and it gives me... These, I never told you it was going to be a cakewalk. These are the decisions that you are faced with. Following Jesus is not a, well, let's see what, how it pans out. It's not a how it pans out thing. And it is a conviction that no religious leader gave you. You can never say Judah told me to. You don't get that. Sorry, I'm, I'm saying it loudly. I'm giving you a clear note. Disclaimer. You can never say Judah told me to. The legalism that runs in the church is abominable to God. But the lack of conviction in the church is equally abominable to God. So when we try and say we cannot have conviction about anything because it's a, it's a groupthink conviction and that's what I don't subscribe to. We at Word of Grace can never be a group think that says we have this conviction, so that's what we do. But to say, are you convinced that Jesus has set up a family like this? Are you convinced that God wants you to work in this environment? That is conviction. Not because a religious status quo tells you to do something. So these things are hard things that God convinces you of and... Case in point, I used to be someone who used to listen to music hours, I mean, almost 20 hours of the day, even into my sleeping time. And God convicted me of some of these things as I started to, you know, worship and I started to grow in worship. I used to start writing worship and God says, son, I want you to just put this away. He did not tell me to burn my seat. Like, you know, like for those who came out of the, the Jesus movement and stuff, you know what I mean when I say, like, burn your, your records and all of that kind of stuff. I'm not talking, Jesus did not say that to me, but he told me to put it down. It cost me <laughs> maybe the biggest chunk of my life, which was something that kept me motivated in the day, kept my life together. In many ways, as a teenager, that's what I thought. To put it aside, because there was a conviction that he placed within my heart. Nobody told me to do it. Nobody said, that's the devil's music. We don't like... And I'm not... But there was a season when I came through that, he says, go ahead. You can listen to those bands again. I have your heart now. That was what he was after. He was never... After, you cannot listen to any band that's not Christian. I, I, I listen to a lot of bands that are not Christian. But he has my heart. If ever there is anything contrary to his heart, there is a flag that immediately says, it's got to go. And it's an easy, it's got to go. It's not a, oh my gosh, but if, am I being legalistic if I do this? I'm, no, it's, it's, it's not about legalism. It's about a heart conviction that he says, this is what my kingdom is about. Move. So Judah, right now it's about music. Tomorrow it might be about where I spend my money. I think coffee is a requirement. And he says, coffee has your heart. You're not going to spend money on coffee anymore. Um, 
Am I making, so again, I've told you, and I've said it again for the record, Judah is not telling you anything. The issue is, what does God speak very clearly in the motivations of your heart? He says, there is an unseen priority here that values something else. I want to address that. And it's not coming with condemnation. It's not coming with, oh, you rotten kid of mine. I hate the fact that you like these. No. I love a good steak. I love a good... Yeah, what I, but all of these things are traps for the heart to say, this is what life is about. All of it. The car I drive. The house I live in. The way my kids dress when they go to school. It's amazing the things that can grab your heart. So... When you come back to something like John 3, where he says, let the convictions of your heart be led by this born-again person. In Colossians, I want to go to Colossians here quickly. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The problem is most of us still think we're in the domain of darkness. Because, because 2023, look around. Do, do you understand? And I'm talking about believers and the way we talk. Am I unaware or ignorant to the darkness that is outside? No. But I'm operating in a different kingdom that you don't see. So my question is, is there light around you or is there darkness around you? If he has transferred you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has transferred you out of this kingdom and he says, I've put you into the kingdom of his son. You better be operating out of that dynamic. Otherwise, guess what? Your, your heart's going to be so overwhelmed. Like someone who's sitting in a bunker trying to keep surviving. We were not called to survive this day. We were called to invite. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. This is why he taught us to pray this way. This is why he says, I want this to be part of your language and I want it to be part of your thinking, just normal thinking. That the kingdom of God has come. It's not coming. There is a fulfillment that's coming. But the kingdom of God is here. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is here. And Jesus, as a born again person, Jesus lives within me. Imagine if Jesus walked around and the shadow that I cast can heal somebody. This is after Jesus left, by the way. Peter was just walking and his shadow hit a person and they got healed. Have you heard of that happening in your lifetime? Why not? 
It's because we do not expect the kingdom of God. And that's what I'm talking about. When the, when the direction of our heart is set towards heaven, we say, I am not of this place. So Lord, teach my mind to, to get out of the way and then get on board with what you're seeing. This is what Romans chapter 12 talks about when it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that what? So that you might be able to tell what God's will is. In any situation, in any circumstance, you're not waiting for Judah to say something. You're not waiting for some pastor or some podcast to say something really cool. In the simplicity of your daily life, God says, this is my will for you. And it is loud as a bell. It's not like, am I hearing God? John chapter 10, right? What does he say? My sheep hear my voice, and they follow. Guess what? As a born-again believer, it's not a question mark whether you can hear the voice of God. The issue is, am I paying attention and responding? And it will be simple. It will never be complicated. So the moment you feel your Christian walk with God is getting complicated, come and talk to me, and I will we'll get to the bottom of what is complicating it. Because I don't want anyone in this church to get into a complicated Christianity. It should be simple faith that lays hold of God for my walk with Him. That's it. Simple. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your work. We thank you that the Holy Spirit has been given to each one in this room. Lord, and for those who have committed their lives to you afresh or even for the first time this morning. We thank you that your Holy Spirit reveals Jesus and what he has done for them. So we thank you, Lord God, for an enlightening of the eyes of their heart to know the hope to which they have been called. So Lord, I ask for a growing understanding and a revelation of who Jesus is for each one, from the youngest one to the oldest, in this room and online. We thank you. That the revelation of Jesus is power. We thank you. That you walk among us. We thank you. That your kingdom is everlasting. So Lord we set our hearts. Towards your kingdom right now. We set our hearts. On what you say. Because when you say something. Your kingdom has come. Your rulership. Is in our midst. So, Lord, every voice that tries to raise itself above the knowledge of Jesus, we cast down in the name of Jesus. And we thank you that you will be enthroned, that you would be glorified in each life here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.